This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I, I do think there is a key difference between people who have interacted personally with refugees versus people who only read about refugees on on the newspaper or online or whatever um when you only read about people online it flattens them they're very two-dimensional this is a podcast about two things helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future welcome to the better samaritan a podcast where we're learning how to do good better I'm Kent Anning, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and I'm joined by my colleagues Jamie Ayton and Laura Finch to explore how we can more effectively love our neighbors from everyday acts of kindness to the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society today. And we're really grateful today to be talking with Sophia Lee, who is a senior reporter for World Magazine, and Stephanie McDade, associate editor for Christianity Today. Both of them have recently authored stories about the 100,000 or so Afghan refugees um, and parolees who are expected in the U.S. as a result of the crisis in Afghanistan. Uh, I'm really excited to talk with them as well because of an experience that I and a number of our Humanitarian Disaster Institute graduate students here at Wheaton College had being part of this resettlement effort at U.S. military bases across the country. So, Uh, Sophia and Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, First, Sophia and then Stephanie, could you tell us how you first got onto this story and got your reporting about it? Do you have past experiences working with refugees? Was it assigned to you? Just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got particularly into covering this. Um. I, the first time I wrote about refugees were actually, um, refugees from North Korea. Um, and I got um, in touch, in, in connection with some of the North Korean refugees in Los Angeles, where I live, through a friend whose father pastors a very small church um, that, that is comprised primarily of North Koreans. Um, so that's when I had my first initial interest in just refugees. And because of this the the complexity of this issue and in terms of how it's a humanitarian issue, it's a social economic issue, it's a political issue, it's an economic issue. And especially with right now, we are in a, in a refugee crisis um, where there are so many displaced people around the world. Um, and so that's how I first got introduced to really being interested in refugee and also being um, an immigrant myself and kind of understanding what it's like to be a new person in a foreign country. Um, That's how, yeah, that's just how I kind of got into it. Um, It was cool hearing your background, Sophia. Um, For me, I started writing um, about refugees last October, so pretty recently, um, within the past year, and I've written a few um, in that time. And, um, for me, it was about where I lived. My husband and I felt called to move, um, to near Clarkston, which is right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. 
And um, there's a really large uh, refugee community here. Um, I think, you know, New York Times, I think it was, uh, called this area the most diverse square mile in all of North America. Um, so it's got like, you know, 60 different languages, 40 different nationalities, all within uh, one square mile, which is really pretty neat. Um, and so I've really enjoyed living here and um, just getting to see the beauty uh, and the, the, the diversity that refugees bring into the country. And um, so that was what kind of got me interested in it. So I pitched uh, my first article last October when um, the, unfortunately, the World Relief Office here uh, closed due to all the cutbacks. So that was my first article for this. And then I've written on it uh, probably uh, maybe five other times in that time, maybe six, maybe more. I can't, it's hard to keep track, but yeah. Um, so not like, uh, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but um, I do think I also have an interesting background um, personally that also generates that interest. Um, I was a missionary kid and also just a third culture kid and a pastor's kid, all that fun stuff. And um, my parents, actually, my grandparents worked with refugees, um, Cuban refugees, um, after they lived in Cuba where my mom was born. And they worked in Miami to kind of help serve the Cuban community there. And then my parents also uh, ran a transitional home up in Canada for incoming refugees. I'm actually technically Canadian. So that also kind of gave me background of understanding kind of the context of all of that. And then it was just a matter of understanding the, the processes over the last year. I've learned a lot um, as far as those details go. Well, both of you had mentioned the context and the complexity of this issue. Sophia, how do you see this current refugee crisis um, compared to maybe some of the others that have been in the headlines in the past? Right. Um, in terms of the Afghans coming in, um, and they're technically not refugees. Um, a lot of them are have special um, immigration visas and are under humanitarian parole, which is not not really refugees technically. Um, but um, compared to, you know, the Syrian crisis um, back then, and also the border crisis, um, it's interesting interesting to see a lot more overwhelming support by Americans um, on both sides of the political spectrum, on both parties, um, the welcome for the Afghans coming in. Um, and, and, and from what I've heard from nonprofits, resettlement agencies, and all, all of them, they say that the support that they've had from the local communities and nationwide have been overwhelming. Um, and I think it might be because of just the, the the graphic stories of what happened with the evacuation in Afghanistan. And also a lot of people do feel a sense of responsibility knowing um, that a lot of these Afghans who are coming in um, were, in, were, in are, were in danger in Afghanistan because they helped the U.S. Um, so there's a sense of responsibility there. Um, and it's it's been really cool to see that, that kind of support and and welcome. Yeah, thanks, Sophia. That's a great point. And I think as I was doing uh, work on one of the military bases with welcoming, it, it was incredible to meet person after person who had worked in uh, a U.S. embassy, who had worked as a translator for U.S. special forces. And I, I, it is encouraging as public opinion ha on refugees has been discouraging over the last five years. It's been encouraging that people have responded and, like you said, have felt some of this 
responsibility because so many of the people who have been coming and are still going to be coming uh, have been a part of the U.S.'s you know time and working with the U.S. government in Afghanistan. Thinking of that, what have you seen, uh, Stephanie, in U.S. churches? Is it similar to uh, what Sophia was discussing in a really positive, overwhelm- like overwhelmingly positive result? How has it changed if we think about a year ago before this crisis when there have been these kind of spikes of interest in churches helping and also some discouraging uh, signs on the political front of U.S. churches not being as welcoming of refugees? Right. Yeah. Um, No, it's a great question. Um, That is definitely something that has been an interesting, just even in a a year, right? Um, From last October to now, just to see how things have changed as far as the public opinion, um, but specifically within churches. um, I, I would say, you know, obviously the same people who are promoting and for refugees then are equally for, um, you know, the welcome. But um, I would say, yeah, there have been some groups that were not speaking up um, or were against, but most were conspicuously not, you know, silent, I would say is probably the middle ground, um, are speaking up in in a big way right now that weren't. And so that is interesting as a a reporter, you're like, uh, you know, you fight so hard to get people to care about something and then just change of administration, change of circumstances. And then there's these people that you were trying to fight for their attention and, and, um, you know, buy in and it's just kind of, it's there now. Um, so that has been an interesting thing to see, especially given, um, where things were with the Syrian refugee crisis. And I bring that up specifically because, um, they were primarily Muslim. And so this group coming in from Afghanistan obviously is primarily Muslim as well. And so that specifically, I think, within local churches has been um, interesting to see the, the change there. And Stefani, in one of your articles, you recently also talked about the impact of trauma and the trauma needs that many people experience. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about about that with us in terms of the Afghanistan situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I think, you know, one one thing I heard when I was speaking with um, the local director in Sacramento uh, for World Relief, you know, he said, there's always going to be the, the shared trauma of the refugee journey. That's, that's always going to be there. Um, but there is a specific, uh, there's new, there's new trauma here with these incoming evacuees from Afghanistan that wasn't there previously. Um, and it's even interesting to see how, you know, most <clears throat> for instance, in Sacramento area, where it's the, there's the largest Afghan community um, resettlement, um, the people who, you know, have moved there in past times often can't even identify with some of the fresh trauma that these refugees are coming in with, or, are, you know, like most are not refugees, like Sophia said, but these people coming in are are having multiple layers of trauma that the difference here is how quickly they're coming and how many all at once that, you know, obviously usually happens in these refugee camps in past times, right? They have years sometimes to, you know, in these camps. And, you know, there's various programs that try to deal with some of the trauma there. Overall, trauma is not as as focused on, has not been focused on in the past. And I think we're seeing, what I saw in my research is that I think there's a lot more awareness around that. And there's a lot more attempt to kind of deal with that um, as it comes, rather than like when something bad happens, right? To 
try to start early on. And so one thing that they're doing is um, hiring culturally appropriate and religiously appropriate counselors for um, some of these incoming evacuees. Um, And I think that will really help getting them started right away um, to kind of process through some of the things that they've recently, so recently witnessed and that their families are going through as we speak. So many of them have, you know, survivor's guilt, feeling like they were able to be free. They were able to escape, but their family or friends weren't. So that's just, there's so much there to unpack. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, Stephanie. I had many conversations and other of our colleagues, just so many conversations where people are there, but they would say, you know, their, their heart, like they've had to leave children behind and Mm. sometimes spouses behind and, you know, the, the trauma of gunshots on the way to the airport, plus leaving a loved one behind. And then you're in a new country. It's just almost unfathomable um, what people have been through in the last couple of months. I think one one thing people talk about in refugee work, you know, we kind of think, oh, they've arrived in the U.S., but it's like they've completed this first sprint. Um, but it's the start of a marathon and a marathon that includes, you know, kind of recovering from so much trauma, the kind of thing that Jamie would be experienced in in having a lot of understanding in and and the the amount of work that that takes and support it will take to go through that um sophia can you talk a little bit circling back some because i think the it's interesting to think churches are responding churches are stepping up have you seen anything developing even since you wrote your article which mentioned that some you know some political forces were trying to maybe counteract the positive uh, response here. Are you seeing any change in public opinion, especially within churches, but more broadly in the country, or is it still continuing to be positive? I think around 69% of Americans polled were positive at least a month ago about welcoming Afghans. Are you seeing any change in that? What What do you think we should be watching for as, as many of us would be hoping that that would stay really high as support? Right. Um, so I, I just recently, um, went to Northern Virginia, which is the second, which has the second largest um, Afghan population. Um, and I talked to um, someone who works at the Catholic Charities there that, and Catholic Charities in that area is is the primary um, resettlement agency that have been helping with Afghans. Um, so I did ask um, if they've seen um, a drop in support because you know, um, when the news first comes out, people's hearts are wrung and, and you know, there's this people want to step up and help, but it's been, it's been several weeks and I wondered if the support have dropped and he said no. And um, that was actually, frankly, a little surprising to me, but he was very enthusiastic in saying that um, actually like the local community, because they there's a significant population of Afghans in that community and, and people now know them so and they see them in the grocery stores at the gas station so um even if um what's happening in afghanistan and the afghan evacuees is not making front page news right now it's still very visible for some of these local communities so he said that the support have been pretty steady you know, that's, that phenomenon is something that we see quite often with disasters like what you were describing, that when it's front and center on the front page, there's lots of interest, but then we sometimes forget. So that is encouraging to hear that that's not happening in this case. But what about maybe in communities where um, there's not a significant amount of Afghans 
who are living in, in their, their communities? So I have talked, um, not professionally, but just through my contacts um, in, in North Dakota, for example, and one in Washington. And um, I did get personal pushback um, and, and primarily was more um, concerned that there was such a, it was such a hasty evacuation and with so many people coming in at once, they weren't sure if um, there were secure vetting, um, uh, whether whether the, the security screening is actually reliable. And also, I think because, uh, because people um, were disappointed with how the Biden administration handled um, everything in Afghanistan, they just didn't trust that this administration would do a good good job in screening the people who are coming in. So um, there is, I mean, there, there's still a political angle to it. There are, I mean, people who just don't trust Biden would find reasons not to trust um, his handling of things. And, and I, I do think there is a key difference between people who have interacted personally with refugees versus people who only read about refugees on on the newspaper or online or whatever. Um, when you only read about people online, it flattens them. They are very two-dimensional. There's no face to them. There's no voice to them. Um, you can't even picture them. They're just blobs um, with no, no faces and no expressions. So I think it's understandable why people then will be more worried of something that they don't really know. But um, from what I've heard with um, nonprofits who do, who help with refugees, um, even people who might have concerns about immigration and refugees and all that, when they actually get to meet the family, um, a lot of the walls get broken down because of that face-to-face -face interaction. And now they're actually seeing a real human being with real pain and real joys and, 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 and a complex nuanced story. Thanks, Sophia. As well explained, I thought in your article that you wrote for, um, for World, the coming wave at the end of the article, you do a good job of also going into some of the, the number of FBI agents and Homeland Security officials and some of the processes for security checking. I think anytime we talk about this, especially as you say, people who aren't really watching it closely can have those security concerns. Uh, and up close, when you pay attention, uh, you, you really do see that there's a pretty extensive vetting process that refugees go through in regular times uh, and also are going through during this sped up uh, process. Um, going to you, Stephanie, what, what is an angle, um, like the kind of faith angle, something that you found most inspiring maybe or most interesting or different for churches or someone who's, you know, a follower of Jesus that really stood out to you as, oh, their, their faith, uh, their love for God and neighbor is really making them act in a different way right now that's inspiring to, to your faith or inspiring for, for our hope? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I think one thing I was really encouraged by is learning about um, Little Cobble, which is like the neighborhood uh, in the Sacramento area, actually Fremont area, um, and hearing about the 
way that the churches, the local churches, are really united in their um, efforts to welcome uh, Afghan uh, incoming Afghan evacuees. And that was something that I was really struck by because the way I found that they had already had this sort of network in place. It wasn't like, oh, let's get a network together. Um, but because they already had that network in place, um, their response is, uh, I think, just so much more mature than maybe in some of the other areas that are still trying to kind of get together and make a plan of how we're, you know, how are we going to be able to you know, respond to these needs uh, of our new neighbors. Um, so I think it was just a really great example of how, you know, you, you have churches that are uniting across the aisle, across denominations, um, everything, but their shared heart is to welcome, you know, and that's something that I really think we can learn from. Uh, and it was, it's, they're just so much farther ahead than some places where the churches just aren't necessarily uniting. Um, like for instance, they're able to communicate very quickly if there's like a family that needs something specific. And if that church doesn't have it, they can post on this, you know, uh, online board, basically a bulletin board and alert and anyone else, any other churches in the area can kind of raise their hand and say, Oh, we have that, or we can, we can take care of that need. And um, I just was really impressed with that. And I feel like it's um, a great blueprint, um, not just for this crisis, but um, just for the future to kind of see that all that work that was done beforehand behind the scenes is, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where that previous work ends up being the foundation that can um, really matter when it comes to these heavy numbers of people coming all at once that can really, you know, they need that infrastructure. Um, and so the fact that secular, you know, the word on the street is, right, that secular outlets are sending um, new families, new families that are getting resettled to the churches. They're saying, hey, you need, you want to, you know, get English classes? There's English classes that are being hosted by these local churches. So that's something that I think was really um, encouraging uh, for me when it came to that. Yeah, it's definitely great to see that that love in action in these really practical and prepared ways, like you said. Um, I'm not going to transition to what we we do this with all of our guests, and we'll just go uh, back and forth with you. Maybe, Sophia, you could start each time, and then Stephanie uh, will ask, and then just jump in one after the other. But these quick five questions that help to us to get to know you a little bit more and also help our readers. And so the first one is, what is something that you are enjoying that you're currently reading? articles could be a favorite book is something you're reading right now i i'm currently reading past by isabel wilkerson and that was that was recommended to me by several people and so it's a very heavy book um mm. about america's own caste system and the author compares what's ha- what's happening in america with the caste system in india and she argues that a lot of our racial tensions and racial injustice comes from an, a deeply embedded caste system in America, even if it's not outright described in that way. I am reading a lot of, I'm not reading one book right now. I'm reading like sort of scanning 10 <laughs> because I'm doing some research for a book that I'm planning uh, while well, I have, have started. But, um, and so they're all about imitating Christ. Um, 
they're about just the incarnation and, and um, just Christological <laughs> anthropology, I guess would be the umbrella term for all of that. Um, and one I'm really excited to dig into is um, Wanting by Luke Burgess. Um, and it's the power of mimetic desire in every, everyday life. So it's basically taking Rene Girard's theory of um, imitation, uh, mimesis, and kind of applying it to society. Um, and I think that'll just be a fascinating read and to apply that to, you know, what does it look like to imitate Christ and how can that become contagious is kind of something that's really fascinating me lately. Well, I know I've been taking notes here of what books are I'm going to have to start reading here soon. So for these next three questions, we'll go through these here uh, pretty quickly. What's a book you've given away more than others over the years? Um, I really love uh, practicing the presence of God. So I've, I've given that away a couple times. Um, and if there's another one, I love Kierkegaard. So if there's anyone I suggest people read, it's always Kierkegaard. He's my spirit animal. <laughs> so, Sophie, do you want to add one or skip that one? Sure. Um, it's Prayer by Timothy Keller. I read this book about three times and I've, <laughs> um, I, I'm not in the habit of giving up books, honestly, because not everyone I know reads, likes reading books. <laughs> but I've given this book out to three three people just because I think that um, prayer is so integral to our life and we can't do anything without prayer and prayer is how we develop relationship with God and also um, how we prayer is through even just seeing um, and discerning like what's going on around us Um, so yeah Nice. And what's a, is there something you're using currently, like an app, a productivity method, a travel product that you're finding especially helpful? Hmm. Uh, I don't go anywhere without my recorder, <laughs> but I think that's about it. I'm not very big on like just technology for the sake of technology, but uh, yeah, I do have a really trusty recorder that never has let me has never let me down, and so that it, I feel like is indispensable <laughs> to me. Excellent. How about you, Sophia? Yeah, I'm not. I don't really have any of the fancy apps either. Um, maybe my the notes app on my phone, mm-hmm. where I take a lot of notes while reporting. Um, sometimes surreptitiously, surreptitiously. Um, yeah, when I was visiting the Afghan families, apparently, um, it's completely culturally appropriate to have your phone out um, while socially hanging out. So, I was jotting down all my observations on my notes app, my iPhone. I I actually changed my uh, answer to that. I I really love Google keep. This isn't, I'm not getting paid to advertise them, but uh, I, their notes app is really great. I have a Google pixel and for a phone and a Google pixel book. um, And I'm definitely a believer in all of their products. So that's something if you are not wanting to be in the Apple world, you can look into. (laughs) (laughs) And Stephanie, curious, what's maybe something you're listening or watching recently? Hmm. I uh, I really love mm, all murder mysteries. Um, <laughs> although that's not a very intellectual answer, but I do love uh, some good murder mysteries. And there's been a couple uh, good ones coming out recently that I've enjoyed. Uh, I'm trying to think of names. I usually like the all the British ones. Uh, Professor T is one I've recently enjoyed. So there's that. (laughs) How about you, Sophia? Um, My favorite podcast right now is The Church Politics with Justin Gibney. (laughs) 
um, and I pretty much listen to every episode. Nice. Uh, very good. And then last of these questions, what do you do to renew your body and mind, uh, maybe especially as you cover uh, heavy topics? For me, it's about I really need to be out in nature um, just to kind of like remind myself that there's a bigger world out there that's beyond even humanity that's just kind of around us, you know, that this world is bigger than us and our problems, especially lately, you know, with so much going on in the world. Um, it's all about kind of breathing in nature <laughs> for me. So, um, For me, it's getting off Twitter <laughs> and having a cup of coffee and the Bible and just even just meditating on one passage. Um, that really does refresh me and just reminds me of what what's first. Well, Sophie and Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk about uh, this crisis um, and wanted to just close by asking if each of you in just one sentence um, could say, what is your hope when it comes to the Afghan resettlement crisis? I think we can call it um, Afghan humanitarian crisis. What is your hope um, for the months ahead? I really hope it, the, this crisis will unite us in a way that we have not been united uh, in the past, especially recent past. That's my overarching hope. And I, I think it definitely has the potential to do so. Um, but I also hope it gets us to think beyond ourselves and start thinking about how we can really ch change the infrastructure for the better in such a way that we are cultivating um, an environment of welcome at all times for all people. The, the church doesn't have the best image in the media right now. Um, and I really, really hope and pray that the church will really step up, the American church will step up and astonish people with the love of Christ, um, both in word and in, and in action, by the way that we welcome sojourners and strangers, um, that it, it will be it will be extraordinary display um, of God's love because I do think that God's love transcends languages and cultures and, and political divisions and pierces people's hearts. Um, and I, I really hope that that's what we see. Great. Well, Stephanie and Sophia, thank you for, for a, a great conversation. Thank, for you. thank you for the work you're doing to, for uncovering this really important story. Thank you guys so much for having us. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Uh, I found it really helpful hearing from Sophia and Stephanie. I hope you did too. I think personally, I'm still processing this the experience I mentioned of being on a military base and uh, having so many different conversations and seeing the scope of this um, project of welcoming tens of thousands of people so quickly. Um, but part of what I left with this conversation with Stephanie and Sophia is they broke some of that down of, you know, how we get better as individuals with practice of, of welcoming others and also how churches can be equipped to think about welcoming in, in this situation with Afghans who are going to be settling all over our country in the days and weeks and months ahead. So, um, 
you know, you may or may not be personally involved, but if you're, you know, on the edge, I hope you'll reach out and find out if any resettlement is happening near you, if there's a way you can be welcoming. It. And of course, even if you aren't working with welcoming Afghans, there are so many different ways that we can seek to be uh, faithfully welcoming others and showing hospitality in our communities, uh, in our churches, um, and as followers of Christ. So thanks for being with us on The Better Samaritan as we keep seeking how to do good better. Thanks for listening to the Better Samaritan podcast. You can find links to the things we mentioned during this episode in the show notes. And special thanks to the brilliance for this fantastic music theme. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. You can also follow the Humanitarian Disaster Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week as we continue learning to do good better. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.